The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome, everybody. As you've been welcomed, I want to welcome you again here in the room, tuning in online. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. And I know we have some visitors with us this morning, and so we always want to make you feel especially welcome and just express our gratitude that you've chosen to worship with us. We know there are a lot of choices, but we're grateful that you're here with us this morning. And so if we can connect with you afterwards, we would love that. Or if you can fill out a visitor card, those are in the lobby so we can stay in touch with you. There's also a digital version that you can find by scanning the QR code code in your Sunday sheet, but we're glad that you're here with us this morning at the Springs Church of Christ. We're a group of people being transformed into the image of Christ so that anyone can find the way to God. And this particular body of people actually traces its lineage quite a ways back, um, and I wanted to invite you to celebrate that with us, not this coming Wednesday, but Wednesday, September 13th, we have a very special welcome table, a 70th anniversary celebration. It's our Platinum Jubilee Spring. So I hope that you will come join us. Now, we've been through several different locations and at least like at least a half a dozen locations, a few names even, but we trace our lineage back to a group that started in the Stan Ramsey print shop in August of 1953. So we're excited to celebrate that, 70 years of God's faithfulness to us at Welcome Table, not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. I hope you'll join us up in the gym on September 13th at 6 p.m. But this morning, we continue, actually we start a brand new sermon series called Philippians, One Spirit, One Mind, One Love. We're going to spend the next eight weeks, including this morning, in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And we're going to be preaching through it sequentially, so from chapter one all the way through chapter four, except for this morning. Ben and I thought, Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, are so vital to the entire letter that we would kick things off. We would start at the heart in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and then next week, we will begin again at Philippians 1, verse 1. So if you'll turn over in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, that's where we're going to spend time together this morning. If then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with 
God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name given to Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the word that is living and active. God, and we ask that you would teach us how to put this word into practice in our lives. I ask for the gift of preaching. And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open up our eyes and ears and hearts to receive your truth in a way that transforms us to be like Jesus. It's in his precious and powerful name that we pray. Amen. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness. That is the mind of Christ. That is what Paul wants to give to us. That is what the Spirit wants us to have, to see the pattern of Jesus, the high and mighty, equal to God, and yet letting go of his godly glory, letting go of the regular exercise of his divine prerogatives, and descending to the form of a slave, the high and mighty becoming the lowly. That's the pattern of the mind of Christ. And once you see that pattern in Philippians 2, you also start to see parallel patterns elsewhere. A couple that came to me this last week, I thought of something from 19th century literature, a Mark Twain story. Did you ever remember the one, The Prince and the Pauper? Remember there's, there's the prince and the pauper in Britain, and they're born on the same day, and they look alike. So they meet up at some point, and they switch places. They decide to switch, so the pauper, the poor British kid, gets to see what it's like to be a prince, and the prince gets to learn about the underbelly of British society, he gets to spend time amongst the poor and see how harsh their culture can be to them. Now that's 19th century literature. I also thought of a parallel in 21st century reality TV. Laura and I started watching the pilot episode of a CBS show. You might have seen it, Undercover Boss. Anyone? In the first episode of this show, it focuses on the company Waste Management, which is based in Houston. It's the biggest waste company in America. It's a $15 billion company with 40,000 employees. And in that first episode, the COO and president descends down undercover to work the lowest jobs on the totem pole, 
So he's down there in the muck with the recycling assembly line and he's riding on the garbage truck in order to learn about what it's like to be at the bottom of the ladder at his company. That's the pattern. The high and mighty come down to the lowly. But I noticed that the difference between the way this pattern plays out in our culture and the way it plays out in Philippians is this. In our culture, when the high and mighty descend to the lowly, it's to learn. It's to learn something. But when Jesus, the highest and the mightiest, descends to the lowly, he doesn't descend to learn anything, but to teach us everything. Jesus descends not to learn, but to teach. So what is it that our rabbi Jesus, our savior Jesus, has descended to teach us? Well, Paul gets to it right away in verse five. He says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Did you ever have a teacher that was so impactful, so kind of revolutionary, you felt like they weren't just giving you new things to think, they were giving you a whole new way of thinking. Do you ever have that? Maybe like third, fourth grade, eighth grade, could have come in high school. For me, it was freshman year of college. Really just a whole cast of incredible teachers over at Oklahoma Christian who I really felt like they weren't just putting new content into my head, they were almost giving me a new head, right? giving me a new mind, a new way of thinking. That's what Paul has for us here, or rather, that's what Paul wants the Philippian church to realize, is that because they're in Christ, they have a different mind. They have access not just to different content, but an entirely new way of thinking, living, being, an entirely different mind. Jesus doesn't merely want to put a new idea in your head. He wants to give you a new mind, a new way of, a new posture for life. And that is the mind of Christ. And Paul says, we're to have that mind, the same mind. And it's not just us having that mind as individuals. It's not just about me having the mind of Christ and Kelly having the mind of Christ and Tap and Eli having the mind of Christ as individuals. We have it together. And in chapter one, he talks about striving side by side with one mind. And then in our passage in verse two, Paul says, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of us look each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. You hear that central theme, church? Unity. That's why we're in Philippians. For the better part of this year, 2023, we've been focusing on gather unity in Christ. 
And Philippians is perhaps the most unity-focused letter that Paul has written. He wants them to be of one mind, full accord, together, striving side by side. Philippians is about unity in the one mind, seeking the same mind, the same love in the same Holy Spirit. Which is a little ironic because oftentimes when people in a community seek the same things, it can actually lead to division instead of unity, right? When two people seek the same scarce resources, it can lead to division. When two people seek the same romantic partner, it can lead to division in the community, Right? When two people seek the same power grab for the same kind of authority, it can lead to division, not unity. Because we want the same things, but there's not enough to go around. Right? There are scarce resources. But we want the same things. And the French thinker René Girard, he has a term for this. It's mimetic desire. Now, mimetic goes back to the Greek word for imitation, right? So he's just saying our desires imitate each other, and especially we imitate the people that we admire. And this is how branding and advertisement works. I admire that guy, and he's wearing those tennis shoes. Now I want those tennis shoes, right? I admire that person, and they're drinking that brand of soda. Now I kind of want that brand of soda, because that's cool, right? I want the things that he or she wants, right? Mimetic desire. And in fact, this this plays out on a, a much more basic level just in my house with my kids. Anybody who has kids or you've been around kids recently, there will be a toy that's sitting off in the corner. No one has touched it for a half a year, but one of the kids picks up that toy. Guess which toy every kid wants? That one. They want that. Now I want it. That's valuable. I want that. Mimetic desire, right? We want the same things, but the same things are limited. They're scarce, right? So it causes friction and division in the community when we selfishly want the same things. But Paul wants to cut that off at the pass, right? Paul instead flips it on his head, and in verse 4 again, he says, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others, So instead of selfishly fighting for your own interest to have everybody the same thing, Paul says, no, you fight for your brothers and sisters in Christ and their interests. You put their interests in front of your own, and the way you do that is the same thing that you seek is the mind of Christ. That's the same that you seek. That's the one thing you seek to have is the mind of Christ which puts others above and before us. Selfish grasping kills community. Selfish grasping is the problem at the heart of humanity. Is it not, right? Going back to Genesis 3 in the garden, the serpent tempts them. He says to the woman, you will not die for eating the fruit. For God knows that when you eat it, 
of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Adam and Eve grasp after the fruit because they're grasping after God. They want to be like God. They want to have God's knowledge. They want to have God's prestige and power. They're grasping after God. But Paul says that Jesus shows us a different way. In verse 6 of our text, though Jesus existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness. Adam and Eve are human, but they want to become like God, so they grasp after God. Chaos ensues. Jesus is God's equal, but he doesn't grasp. He lets go, and he becomes human to show us how to truly be human, to show us how to live divine. And he does that by disclosing what really makes us human, by disclosing the true secret to true humanity and divinity. This is the content of the mind of Christ that we get in verse three where Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. The mind of Christ is a mind of humility. Humble. That's the mind of Christ. Did you know that Christians, Jesus followers, were essentially the first people in world history to talk about humility as a good thing? As a virtue instead of a bad thing. Ben Myers says that in ancient Roman culture, the whole purpose of life was to acquire honor and to shun whatever might diminish one's reputation. To be humble was the worst thing that could happen to a person. Yet the earliest Christians scorned pride and elevated humility. In the Greco-Roman world, they thought, somewhat naturally, that those who are high and mighty and powerful and superior are indeed superior. That was the, the hierarchy, that was their value. They did not want to be humble. But here are Christians, strangely, following this crucified Jew, Jesus, and saying, actually, humility is a good thing. Actually, it's good to be meek and lowly. Actually, it's good to be poor in spirit because then we are living after the pattern of our Savior who, as Paul says, though he existed in verse six in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The humble mind of Christ is precisely what Jesus came to give us. Humility 
is the pattern of what Jesus did. Humility is not just some extra add-on arbitrary to the gospel, right? Humility is the gospel. That is the form that it takes of Jesus, the high and mighty, descending to the lowly, the form of a slave, to show us what it means to truly be human. The shape of the gospel is humility. It's Jesus descending. He has the form of God, but he stoops to the form of a slave. He shares his dignity, his beauty with that lowliness in order to witness to God's love. I was moved by a book that I was reading with my kids recently that we randomly found at the library. It's called Last Stop on Market Street. And it tells the story of this little boy, CJ, and his nana. And they, it starts with them leaving church, and they walk down, and they get on the bus, and they take the bus all the way down to the last stop on Market Street in order to serve at a soup kitchen. And along the way, CJ is asking all these questions of his Nana, and he's a little bit upset that he doesn't get to be off playing like his other friends are. He's kind of complaining a little bit. But he gets down there, and they get down to Market Street. They're getting close to the soup kitchen. And he says, how come it's always so dirty over here? And then Nana points to the sky and she says, sometimes when you're surrounded by dirt, CJ, you're a better witness for what's beautiful. And then he sees this beautiful rainbow above them. And he thinks, how does she find beauty where I would never expect to look for it? Nobody expected to find the form of power and glory, the form of God in the form of a slave. But Jesus, the high and mighty, descends to the lowly to teach us his mind, to teach us that when we lower ourselves, when we bring ourselves down to the dirt, when we take the form that we might think we have but go down to the form beneath, we're actually a better witness for what's beautiful. We're actually in touch with God's beauty itself. That's what Jesus came to teach us. That's what Paul encourages the church at Philippi to have because that is the basis for unity in his community. That is the basis, humility. And yet it's striking to us, right? Think more highly of others Put others' interests before my own. Think humbly of myself. This past week, I was just flipping through a book that was on my shelf. It's called The Imitation of Christ, and it was written in the 1400s by a guy named Thomas Akempis. And I must have bought this copy pretty cheap on Amazon because written in the 1400s. Obviously, it's public domain, and there's really not a whole lot to it, although there is this strange little 
kind of disclaimer that I found in the front matter, um, this disclaimer that says, this work is a product of its time and place and may include values, images, events, and language that are offensive to modern sensibilities. Reader discretion is advised. Which I thought, you know, we get content warnings all over the place, but in a book about imitating Jesus, I was a little surprised to read that. But you go on to read the book, and already in section two, you can kind of start to see how it would offend. Right? In section two of thinking humbly of oneself, Thomas Akempis writes, that is the highest and most profitable lesson when a man truly knoweth and judgeth lowly of himself, to account nothing of oneself and to think always kindly and highly of others, this is great and perfect wisdom. I don't see Thomas Akempis taking off as an influencer anytime soon. I could see how that is scandalous to modern sensibilities, it's scandalous to ancient sensibilities. Now, if you're someone who actually struggles with, with low self-esteem, don't hear Thomas Akempis kind of putting a stamp of approval on some kind of self-loathing. But his words are akin to Paul's, aren't they? Where, where Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Right? This isn't some kind of posture about just thinking badly of myself. It's really not just about thinking at all. I know it's the mind of Christ, but the mind of Christ must be put into practice, right? This posture is about preparing us for humble service. It's about preparing us for unity as a community. It's about preparing us for a virtuous cycle of putting each other's needs first rather than a vicious cycle of mimetic desire and chaos. In other words, bending the knee to Jesus should bend us in humility to one another. Bending the knee in worship to Jesus, the one who comes down, the one who goes to his disciples' feet and washes them and then says, here's your new commandment, love each other like this. Bending the knee in worship to that Jesus should bend us in humility, in humble service to each other. That's the foundation of Jesus' followers. That's the foundation of unity in our community. That's the mind of Christ. But Paul doesn't leave it with Jesus lowly. That's not the end of the story for Paul. In verse 9, he says, Therefore, God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name so that at the name given to Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The grave of a crucified slave is not the end for Jesus. The pattern is not just here to here. The pattern is up here, down here, and exalted 
the name that is above every other name because Jesus has disclosed the mind of God. Jesus has disclosed the beautiful form of God. Jesus is now exalted. He was crucified, but it doesn't end in the grave. It ends with resurrection, exaltation, ascension, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus shows us, in other words, how to stoop down, to bend, in order to be lifted up, in order to participate in his resurrection power. And we here in the church are the first ones to hear it. Right? But God has intentions. It's on offer to the whole cosmos. But we're the first ones to hear the church. And so it's like teachers. Right? School's back in session. Teachers are great at getting the attention of an entire classroom. If you hear my voice, clap twice. If you hear my voice, clap twice. Right? And by the end of it, the entire classroom is wrapped with attention. They're, they're imitating the teacher. They're listening to the teacher's voice. But it happens in a ripple. Right? It happens, there are those that hear first, and then it ripples out. Right? And so we are the first to hear it. Right? We are the first to hear the voice of our teacher. We are the first to see his action of bending. And we imitate, we bend, in order that the whole world might hear. We bend in order to show others what it means to worship God in Jesus Christ. We humbly bend the knee to Jesus. For one day, every knee will bend to Jesus. That is our hope, that is our prayer. That if we bend our knees in this room, that the knees across all of Edmond will eventually bend. That the knees across the whole nation, across the globe, will hear that offer and respond with worship to the name that is above every name. We humbly bend the knee to Jesus. For one day, every knee, Paul says, every knee, shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we listen to the voice of our teacher. And we begin and we start in our own humility and lowliness to show people the secret of what it means to live divinely the way that Jesus showed us in human form. To be a better witness for what is beautiful church. Let us stand and praise and confess the name of Jesus that is above every other name.